0: Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. This is your host, Brayden, and I am very excited because today on the podcast, I have Holly Gray of Anything But Gray Events. This is actually take two of this recording because the first one, I forgot to put my mic on. So um, thanks so much, Holly, for hopping back in here. I'm going to make you repeat everything you just shared with me on the first, first recording and tell everyone... Uh, how you got started in your business, and what exactly your business does.
1: Well, good morning again, Braden. It's always lovely to be with you. Uh, my name is Holly Gray. I am the CEO of Anything But Gray Events. We, are, we specialize in everything color, so uh, creative events for colorful clients that want to do something very out of the box and different. Uh, we're in Los Angeles, but we travel everywhere. And for me as a wedding planner, I love all the creative design elements, but I'm always about function and logistics because I was a stage manager for live theater for 10 years.
0: Nice. So first question for you, if you got a client inquiry and they told you they wanted their entire wedding to be black and white, would you just say no?
1: Honestly, I mean, I feel like uh, eight years into my business now, I've set everything up where that doesn't really happen. (laughs) Because if they go to my website and they're like, we love black and white, they're going to be like, uh, I don't think so. I
0: was like, if you got that lead, would you still take it and just not showcase it in your portfolio or just no?
1: Uh, probably no at this point.
0: Okay, nice. Okay. I do feel like you probably get this a lot, but I feel like the market, like the branding behind your business is genius because you work your name into your business name.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a, um, a rebrand a couple of years ago, which was very scary, but I felt like there was a niche that wasn't being filled and I was going to Interesting.
0: What was your brand before?
1: I was events by Holly Gray before, which was very generic. And I was trying to appeal to too many people and very much suppressing who I was as a planner and designer. And I've always been a very colorful out of the box kind of person. My mom was a wedding planner for 20 years. So I grew up in this industry seeing very traditional, beautiful weddings, but not at all my style or what I liked. So when I finally decided to own my own business, I knew I wanted to do it in a different way.
0: Yeah. I always tell people when people ask me why I only wear black and blue, I tell them it's because my personality is already colorful enough. So I don't (laughs) want to overwhelm people.
1: I love that. (laughs) I love that.
0: Okay. Awesome. So right now you do primarily wedding planning and design in Los You said Los Angeles and beyond, right? So you're kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you pay me to go, I will go there.
0: And I mean all over the place, like in a positive way, not... Oh
1: yeah, like, no, 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 yeah. I, I, I didn't take it negatively.
0: Okay, perfect. Because I'm kind of all over the place. This is why I could never make it in the wedding planning industry, despite the fact that like J-Lo almost inspired me to do so.
1: <laughs> because of her clipboard?
0: Yeah, the, the, what is it? The wedding planner, right? That's the, wedding, the new Yeah, dude? I
1: get a lot of people who ask me like, are you like J-Lo? I'm like, no, I'm nothing like J-Lo. <laughs> oh, I mean, she's do, amazing, yeah. but I'm nothing you, like JLo.
0: You don't have a baby blue matching pencil skirt suit?
1: I do not. Mine is actually hot pink, so there you go.
0: Okay, I'm here for it. All right, so I never said this in the intro because I'm slacking today, but what we're going to talk about on this podcast specifically is contracts. So we're going to talk about the messy contracts that both Holly and I have seen, and then also clients in particular who want to change their contracts. So the reason why I really like chatting contracts with wedding planners is because you're kind of like the central hub of all the documents, right? So even though you're not legally reviewing contracts as an attorney for the client, you're still reviewing contracts for logistic purposes for the clients, right?
1: Exactly. So when a client comes on to me, depending on what part of the process they're in so far, I ask them to please send me all their vendors, please send me all their vendor contracts. And yeah, I look. I like to look over them. I'm, I'm not a legal counsel, like you said, but I'm looking for red flags that I can see um, to share with my client of, this is a good contract, this is a bad contract, Um, and just to have them to reference throughout the planning process.
0: Nice, so I can tell everyone obviously on this podcast what specific types of legal provisions you should have in your contract, but it's interesting to chat with someone like you, Holly, about after being in the industry for several years, what provisions you have seen added and what you think is often missing. So if we were just to look like broad picture, at vendor contracts in general and we can get more into specific industries if you want but just broadly what do you often see that's missing in contracts
1: i think in general i am often surprised by the vendors that i work with who have you know they have very successful um very established businesses that are sending out contracts that kind of look crappy, (laughs) or not even just in looks, that they're just not professional. If you're, if you have a professional business, you should have a professional contract, meaning a contract that has been drafted by a lawyer, someone who does this professionally, so that when you're sending it out, it not only takes care of you, uh, but it looks like you are a professional. If you're sending out a Word document, no joke, Brayden, I see vendors that send me just straight up Word documents, not even PDFs, just Word documents to their clients, and it's scary. It's scary on a legal sense because you can really get screwed that way, but also just professionally, it's just not good. It's just not good.
0: Yeah, so everyone, that's tip number one. Like, you don't wanna be sending contracts in Word doc or Google doc form, you want it to be non-editable. And
1: uh, I want to laugh at that because you know what, we we deal with people at different places in their business and maybe no one has told you, but step it up. It's time to now step it up and right. get, that, get that made. Pay a professional um, lawyer who specializes in contracts for entrepreneurs, business owners, to get a contract made. It is money, but it's an investment in yourself that will pay for itself tenfold.
0: Yes. And I do self-pitch here. I do have a contract template store on my website, everybody. So you can grab some there. But yeah, the main thing with the work, and it's not even, so I always tell people you want to have a good contract because it makes you look professional. So that's step number one, right? But also it's there to legally protect you. So having something in a really beautiful CRM is going to tick the box of being professional. But even if you're not there yet, convert your Word doc to a PDF so people can't edit it. And that's not going to you know, unravel the legal protections that it's giving you. What CRM do you use, Holly?
1: I use both Aisle Planner and HoneyBook uh, for my CRM. That's a customer relationship management, just in case anyone's like, what does that mean? Interesting, so um, yeah,
0: do you use HoneyBook for your contracts and then Aisle Planner for more of the planning logistics?
1: Exactly, so I've hired a lawyer to do my contract for me. I have her look at it every year and refresh or as things come up, have her change things, I input that into HoneyBook and then um, you know clients can sign their contract through that, pay through that, and then I move them over to aisle planner for the rest of our work together.
0: Love it. So what do you do if you ever decide, maybe you have a client issue and you decide that you need a new provision or you just need to edit something, do you do that on your own or do you email your attorney about it?
1: It really depends on what it is. If it's adding a whole new clause about something, I'm gonna write my attorney and say, What can I do about this? You know, do you think that this is a smart idea? Is this a bad idea? I'm not a lawyer. I don't, that's not what I do. So I'm gonna hire a professional to help me understand and do that for me. I think it's an important lesson for all entrepreneurs you know, find the people that you need in your business to make your business functional and hire them. Pay the money. It's worth it. Yeah.
0: What I always tell my students, like, especially if they grab my templates, I'll tell them if you want to specify that your client needs to pay you 60 days before the wedding instead of 30 days, like you can just edit the number in your contract. If you decide you need an entire new provision, then it's probably time to get some professional advice on whether it belongs there and how it should be worked in.
1: Exactly, and can I yes and to what you just said, Brayden? Yeah, go ahead. Um, As a planner, something that drives me crazy is vendors that don't get paid before an event, at at any point before an event. I don't wanna hear from a planner, or sorry, a uh, vendor after an event, oh, I'm owed money for this, can you help me get my money? That's your job to get your money and it should be in your contract of when your money is due. It shouldn't be on an event day because there's enough going on on event day it can be before uh, you know the day before but don't leave it up to the planner to help you get your money after the event put it in your contract
0: i always like at a minimum you should be collecting full balance 30 days before the event
1: that is my rule of thumb too and my my last payment is always my smallest payment
0: Right. Do you see from, because you're like, you're obviously working with the couples. Do you see on a, from a client perspective, anyone having trouble paying larger chunks up front? Because I will often tell people, I think if the entire contract is for under like $2,000, it's fine just to take a lump sum up front. If it's more than that, maybe do half and half. But do you think that is doable advice based on your clientele?
1: Um, my clientele is paying me more than two thousand dollars, so it usually a a deposit is in the two thousand to three thousand dollars. Right, my clients.
0: No, so, for the for the plan for the planners, definitely. I'm thinking other vendors. Like, I'm not actually. I really have no idea how much like DJ DJs typically charge. Um, but if we're talking about like lower dollar contracts,
1: I find that most vendors that I work with in other categories are doing half and half, um, and everything's coming in thirty days before the wedding. For my workflow, because I'm working with people like over a year's time typically, I like to split it up into four payments just for my own cash flow purposes. But I think you can do any way that fits you. I also like to remind vendors though, if you ever get into a situation where you have to fire a client, um, having a very cut and dry payment plan also helps with that. If you're getting all the money up front, Right with a client, um, and you know, three months from now, you fire that client. Make sure you be able to, you know, pay them all that money back um, through your own workflow and, and cash flow systems.
0: Nice. I like that. Yeah, one of the one of the things I teach is in your contracts a really easy way to do it is basically to split your payments into installments. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a cancellation, you can say that you are entitled to maintain whatever amounts already been paid. So the closer you're getting to the date, the more you're being compensated. The other thing is when it comes to being able to repay the money, um, I also teach cash flow management. So for a lot of people who are doing high dollar contracts and taking money up front, I recommend having a separate bank account. That's what we would call a holding account or retainer account. And you don't transfer the client money to your personal bank account or even even into your business expense account until it's been earned by you, according to the contract.
1: So that bank account is essentially like purgatory for your money until the job is complete. You know that there's not going to be any incidents and you can transfer it into your business account.
0: Right. Like in the legal field, we call that the client trust account. So Holly, if you were to hire me, you know, for some big sort of service, I might charge you a $5,000 retainer that goes into the trust account. And then every time I invoice you, you email approval, and then I'm allowed to transfer money from the trust into my personal, into my business bank account. So
1: smart. So smart. So So
0: that's one way to do it. What, What I think is, I guess what I was getting at is what I think is silly is I've talked to people who are doing um, maybe it's like brand photography or it's like an engagement shoot, more of like portrait sessions or something where it's not as big of a package. And they're splitting like an eight hundred dollar contract into four installment payments. And I'm like, that's more effort than it's
1: worth. Totally. Totally for sure. Um yeah, to me if it's under $1000 you should be doing that in one sum. But again, everybody's everybody's business is different. You know, if that if that helps you to do more work on the front end but it's going to help your cash flow, I guess it works out, but for my business that just seems stupid.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think it's just it's my enneagram 8 wing that wants to challenge <laughs> that wants to challenge people all the time because I talk especially newer business owners, uh, I guess I also went through law school so I'm, you know, like Go off Confer- like, <laughs> I just mean, we're like taught how to be confrontational and deal with conflict, right? And most of the time, conflict isn't even coming at us. But mm-hmm. so many people are worried about conflict that they're like, well, I don't want to take all the money up front. And I'm like, no, you're a business owner. You just tell them like, this is my policy. Most of the time, they won't care.
1: That also kind of goes into money mindset of, of people that just don't want to talk about money because they've never talked about money, money. But here's the thing. As a business owner, money, we're not in this for the fun of it. I'll I'll be really honest. This is not my hobby. I have other hobbies. This is my business, which means I got to make money for my business. And if I don't want to talk about money, then what the heck am I doing here? Yeah.
0: I always, I always say that, you know, people, people tell you not to talk about money, religion, or politics at the dinner table. Those are my three favorite subjects. because (laughs) Everything else is just bullshit fluff.
1: (laughs) Oh, Braden, I love you.
0: Yeah, it's not fun. Okay, so let's talk about some other contract things. What are some other, what are some significant clauses that you think are often missing when you're looking at vendor contracts?
1: Um, some basic things that I think are missing. Uh, vendors tend to not, it sounds silly, and I can't believe I'm even saying this, but vendors tend to forget about their meals. Um, I had a, a situation many, many years ago where we were not provided meals. At a wedding that you know i had been at for 15 hours the bride handed the bridesmaid a hundred dollars and said run down to taco bell and get the vendors all bean and cheese burritos the venue owner heard this happening and shut that down real fast but it made me realize this was god this was year one of my business eight years ago that I had to add a clause about meals, that I need to be provided, myself and my team, however many people that is, depending on the wedding, has to be provided with a hot plated meal from the caterer. So that means not a boxed sandwich, not a cold meal, um, not something that's been sitting out for hours and hours. It has to be along the same lines of what the guests are being given. Now, if your menu is filet mignon, I'm not expecting that you're feeding your vendors filet mignon, but it's gotta be something that is a hot, sustainable meal that will last you the time that you've been working. It's just like one of those basic things that people forget to put in their contract, and then they assume that our clients will know. Never assume. I went to Catholic all-girls school, and they taught us that when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me, and I've always stuck to that principle.
0: Do they say ass at Catholic school?
1: Well, I mean <laughs> I went to I'm, a progressive Catholic school. Okay.
0: I'm asking the tough questions today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fun. All right. What about what about logistics? Because I often explain to people that your contract is to lay the expectation like lay the expectations between you and the client. So if your client doesn't know what the expectations are, how are they gonna meet them? Like do you when you look at the contracts? Are they typically pretty straightforward? Like, talk to me about that.
1: I see a lot of contracts that are one page total. And that always makes me a little nervous. My contract is, I want to say, four and a half pages at this point. It's not, you know, 25 pages, but there's enough on there that covers, honestly, situations that I have gone through and learned from. Uh, But also, it should really, really... Explain to your clients what your expectations are, like you said, because if we don't tell them what we need to do our job, they're not going to know how we do our job unless we tell them. And so I think a lot of time there's this gray area, if you will, um, that's just not filling in all the necessary, necessary blanks. Uh, a, a big one that comes up a lot is photography, about the rights to the photography, Um I like to submit my weddings to wedding publications. So talking right from the get go with clients about those expectations of, can I use your photos on my social media? Can I use it on my blog? Can I submit your photo for this wedding publication or not? Because if they say no to me, they say like, no, we wanna keep our, our wedding photos private. There's an extra charge that I add on to my fee for that. Because as a wedding planner, I use social media as a form of advertising for myself. So if you're taking away my ability to do that, then you know what? I have to charge you more money to recoup what I would have lost from not being able to showcase your wedding. So things like that.
0: I, li- I like that. So that's really interesting. So when you're having that, I want to talk more about this because I would say the majority of my audience actually is photographers. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to the client about that, is this more you're talking about whether the client will allow you to use the photos or whether the photographer is gonna allow allow you to use No,
1: I am not talking about the photographer. They honestly have the rights to that photo. That's not, that's not my photo, but it's me opening the conversation with the client right off the bat saying, hey, this is something that is a standard in my business to submit photos to publications. Um, is this something you're comfortable with? Most of the time, um, I know the photographers that I'm working with because they're people that I'm recommending and I've worked with before. So I know they're already comfortable with submissions and having their work out there because of course that also helps them as a business owner. So it's not me saying the rights to the photo in general, but it's me saying the rights to use the photo for something in the future.
0: Yeah, because what I often see in the conversation I often have with photographers is they want to limit what vendors can't do with the photos. It's actually less... Less having to do with the photo rights and more they get, you know, very upset when vendors are in the way with their own cameras. That can be a whole nother conversation.
1: Of yes.
0: But what I always what I always have to explain is a client can't like a client can't sign a contract with a photographer and say that no vendors will not be shooting photography. Because if the photographer then goes to try to enforce that with the vendor, the contract is between the photographer and the client, not the photographer and you, Holly, right? Yeah. So what it's I always tell them is- area. She, what?
1: It's a sticky area. Because yeah. Because I've had situations where, let's say, uh, a client comes to me, they already have a photographer. Maybe it's not a photographer that I either love their style or, um, or how they do things, let's say. Maybe they're like very dark and grainy and I'm very light and bright. And I know the photos that I'm going to get from this wedding are not- Going to be what my brand represents normally, but as a professional, I can't say that I'm going to hire another photographer to come take my detail shots because then that opens up a weird situation where we have two photographers on one wedding that don't necessarily know each other. That that wasn't the agreed upon thing. So going into it, having these really cut and dry like contracts makes all the difference too.
0: Right? Yeah, because what I what I what I will tell the photographers is what you have to do in this circumstance is you can't have your client contractually obligate themselves to that necessarily. What you can technically do is have your client agree that they will require a certain clause in their other vendor contracts. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And even still, like, that's a big ask. But if you really want to do it, you can.
1: Yeah. I mean, I certainly have had photographers say to me when I've reached out saying, hey, I would love the gallery for so-and-so's wedding. And they will say, Sure. Um. Hold on, Holly. Let me talk to that couple. Let me write them an email to make sure that that's okay with them, and then I will send it to you if they give me approval. You know, in the end of the day, it's it's their wedding, and I don't ever want to step on anyone's toes or, you know, do anything in a a, a bad way. Right. Uh, so, but again, putting it in your contract.
0: Put <laughs> it in a <the> contract. <laughs> well, especially if the photographers have these types of terms in their contracts, then you as the planners probably are gonna already gonna know what you can and can't do with the photos ahead of time.
1: Totally. You know, the vendor team, our goal is to make each other look good. Like that is my golden rule in life is make each other look good. So if you have things in your contract that make me good and look good and vice versa, then we're all working together uh, for the greater good, which is that person's wedding or event.
0: Love it. Okay, let's talk about contract changes. Yeah. So how often do you have clients that say, hey, Holly, I'd like to get something that's not in the contract.
1: I have it probably twice a year. And typically it's a client who has a lawyer parent that, uh, <laughs> Okay. It like has gone through my contract with a red pen and then they have faxed me back a scanned copy from their legal office of all the things that they want me to change. Whether it's very small, just the wording of something or adding in large chunks. And there have been clients that I've turned down uh, as bringing them on as clients because I didn't like the idea of what their changes were trying to say. And I said, you know, I just don't think we're a good fit. You know, there are things that I will bend on slightly, but I'm not gonna like break my contract in order to make you happy.
0: Okay, so these are like pre-contract signing requests for changes.
1: Exactly, these are like, I've sent out my proposal. They love the proposal. They wanted to move on to the contract phase. I got that all set up for them. Uh, and they found things that they didn't like or didn't agree with and wanted to change in some way.
0: What's the most egregious thing you've been asked to put in your contract?
1: Uh, Usually it's mostly with the photography if they don't want to use any, if they don't want to let me use any photos for anything.
0: Okay, so that's that one's like a pretty easy yes or no.
1: Yeah. Um, God. Nothing that's ever been like super offensive, but... um, there is something said, I don't know, in my mind, when somebody wants to change the way you do everything that you kind of have to, as a business owner go, like, is this my ideal client? If they're trying to change the way I do a procedure that I've done for eight years and works really well with all my other clients, like maybe this is just not a good fit. And I'm, I'm really good at listening to my gut and going, I don't know. I feel like this is a weird situation If this is how this process is going to be from the get-go with this client, nothing else from here on out is going to be easy. And, you know, the planning process is challenging enough. There's a lot of emotional ups and downs, money issues, family issues. To have somebody like nitpick you from the very beginning to the point where you feel in your gut something's wrong, you need to listen to that as a business owner and go, this is probably not my ideal client. I'm going to wish you the best of luck and send you on your way.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely listen to your gut instinct. One of the like one of the hypotheticals I've used before and thought of is if you have a potential bride or groom who wants to sign a contract. Or groom, and
1: groom and bride and bride.
0: Yes. Thank you for uh-huh. the more inclusive language. If you have a potential client who tells you, you know what, I have a chronic medical condition. So there is like a very off chance that I might have to move the wedding if I'm having like a bad month. So I'd like to maybe just look at the clause about your rescheduling fee or what that process looks like. That's like, okay, something that you can decide whether you want to accommodate or not. But if they're telling you, if they're marking up every single provision in your contract, that's a red flag.
1: And that's exactly what I'm saying. I, I've had clients cancel their wedding, postpone their weddings. I've had clients. Uh, with ongoing illnesses i've had clients whose parents have gotten into a car accident the week before their wedding like i've had situations that come up and i think you have to deal with those case by case i'm talking about like what you're saying somebody that just wants to like red tape everything no that's no no
0: yeah as my favorite phrase is it's going to be a no
1: it's going to be a hard no thanks it's gonna be a-
0: going to be a hard no. Okay. Let's talk about um, changes after the contract's been signed. Do you have those very often?
1: I don't have those very often, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, You know, and again, those, if, if I were to have those, those would again go to, okay, I'm going to call my lawyer. (laughs) I am going to call the person that wrote my contract and talk to her about it. And then think about if this is something, if this situation is something I want to add to my contract when I go through it, you know, once a year with her.
0: Yeah, anytime I get clients for this kind of an issue, it's always very scary. Um, Like I've I've had several of them that usually the starting point is really, really bad Yelp reviews after the wedding day. Mm -hmm. And they're always like, I mean, there was a little bit of tension before, but I thought the event really, really well. And now I'm getting these nasty reviews. So then it's more of like a settlement agreement. I feel like it's probably less common uh in the wedding planning side of things than in a lot of other like with graphic design, I think it's a lot more common because of scope creep. Yeah. Whereas with planners, they tend to have pretty, pretty ironed out packages. So
1: I mean, clients will always try to scope creep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That, that's just how it goes. But I think um I'm really big on communication and I think a contract is great but you have to be communicating the whole time with your clients, the expectations. So yes, a contract is a a written expectation, but the verbal expectations are what are really key in my business and that what has helped me, you know, keep wonderful reviews. And I'm God, knock on wood, so proud of that. But you know, it's, it's a twofold plan. It can't just be like, Oh, I, well, I said it once in my contract, I'm expecting my clients remember it you know, in the year planning process, everybody forgets stuff. So you have to keep reminding them of of what they signed and what they agreed to, what you agreed to.
0: Do you review the full contract with the client in the beginning? I do. Yeah. Okay. Awesome.
1: Um, and and I I make them. I'm probably really aintar attentive, but you know, some people just have a signature in the bottom. I make them initial each clause that's um, you know high on my priority list, so that I can look back and say like let's talk about your photo clause. Here's where your initial is, you know, you signed it, this and that. Um, if that's changed in any way, then we have to talk about a payment for, um, you know, not being able to use your photos now, whatever, but having them initial, I go like, okay, they consciously had to go through this. I know they didn't just like skim and go to the bottom. Like most people do with contracts.
0: Right. And when it, when it comes to this kind of communication stuff, obviously communication is very important in every industry, but, It's also always helpful, remember your own business and what the services you are providing. Like if your onboarding workflow is a three hour process and you're doing $300 like family mini sessions, like you probably don't need to be going to that length. But obviously if you're doing full service wedding planning, you're gonna be working with these people for a year, you wanna over communicate in the beginning, I'm sure.
1: It's a total relationship. And that's even something I say on my consultations with people is I I am a no fuss, no frill, I don't blow smoke up people's butts, I really tell it like it is kind of planner. So if you're somebody that's looking for this like fairy godmother, J-Lo clipboard holding like magical person, I'm not that person. So either you like me or you don't and that's totally okay either way, but I'm setting that expectation of that's the tone of how we're gonna work together. I am very nurturing and kind, but I'm not gonna lie to you and I'm not gonna sugarcoat things. So you have to be good with that coming into the relationship.
0: Same. I'm here for it. Okay. Random question. What is your, if you had to pick one, what's your favorite contract clause in your contract?
1: For me, it's, oh, it's, it's either the food or photos. Photos are really important to me, but food is even more important to me. When, you, okay. when you've been working on your feet all day and somebody hands you like a cold bologna sandwich in a box with like a bag of squished chips and a moldy apple, you're like, no, this is yeah. not. That's no good.
0: I think my favorite is the payment provision, but.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) I go right to food. That tells you what kind of girl I am.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't like, in my contracts, clients don't feed me, but you know, it might be different. Okay, fun. So any last uh, bits of wisdom you want to impart on my audience?
1: I think the best piece of wisdom I could give right now is step up. Step up your business. um, Make sure that what you're doing on the back end is legal and takes care of you as a business owner. You don't want to get into a situation where your business is ruined by one small mistake that you could have made by just hiring Brayden or getting one of his templates because it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Make that investment in yourself and your business to take care of what you've created because it's really, really important.
0: Love it. Okay. If uh, people want to learn more about your business and become best friends with you, how should they do that?
1: my god become my bestie i am on instagram at anything but gray events that's gray with an a or on my website www.anythingbutgrayevents.com and of course you can email me at holly at anything but gray events i'd love to hear from you
0: perfect and you can also tag holly inside of my facebook group because i know you're a member right yes Okay, awesome. So for everyone, if you're not a member of my Facebook group yet, you can join. It's called Braden's Besties on Facebook. Also, just to let you all know, um, I ended up continuing the tax challenge. So if you miss signing up for the live tax challenge in January, you can actually sign up now uh, on my website, bradendrake.com forward slash tax challenge, and you'll get access to all the daily videos our Q&A recordings, the guides, and then you can post any questions you have while you go through the content inside of the Facebook group. If you have contract questions, you can tag me, um, tag Holly. If you're a wedding planner, she might have some good advice on you about some certain terms. I hope you don't mind I'm volunteering you for work.
1: No, it's fine.
0: Okay, perfect. So um, yeah, that's all I have for today. Thanks so much, Holly, for coming on and chatting about contracts with me.
1: Thank you for having me, Brayden. I appreciate it.
0: You got it. Okay, so as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, tag all your friends, email your mom, let them know how awesome the podcast is. Thanks for tuning in, and I will be back in your earbuds on Tuesday. Have a great day.